Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are excited uh, to continue our journey, and we are almost to the end of the journey, uh, walking through the Revelation. We have been 10 months at this, uh, and today we will finish uh, all of 21, uh, and we'll even jump into a couple of verses of 22, and of course 22 uh, the final chapter. After we finish the Revelation, we plan to move from this into 2 Corinthians, uh, and we'll just go ahead and keep moving. So uh, make a note of that uh, as uh, as you're thinking about what we might be doing next. So uh, and it'll all be right here at the same thing. We're, we're inside the Rick and Bubba Studios, if you're new, first time with us. Uh, and uh, we uh, that's my day job. I co-host the Rick and Bubba Show. You can find out all that information at rickandbubba.com. Uh, this Bible study's been going on for a number of years, brought to you by themanchurch.com. This is a men's discipleship strategy that we kicked off in uh, March of 2020. Uh, so we are about to uh, to get into our fourth year uh, of this men's discipleship strategy coming up in March of 2024. Uh, some things that you might want to be aware of. Uh, first of all, if you're looking for resources for your men's ministry, we got them. Uh, just go to themanchurch.com. We have individual resources for men. Uh, we have a 40-week curricula, uh, four of those already ready to go. Uh, we have uh, The Pursuit, we have uh, Real Men, we have Impact, and we also have uh, Be Disciples. All those are available to you now, and they, they, every five weeks is a new topic, uh, and you can implement that into the small groups uh, for your men. We also offer speakers going out for your events or for your man church services, and we've got some of those going out this week. I get the opportunity, uh, yours truly, uh, being in Clanton, Alabama, coming up this Sunday night, uh, the uh, October the 29th, uh, it's their first man church, so we're kicking off the men's discipleship strategy. They're going to start with the pursuit curriculum, and uh, we'll plug you into those small groups, and 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 you can be with us coming up this Sunday night if you're in that part of Alabama. Coming up on November the 9th, uh, Blake Prime will be speaking at my home church in Birmingham, Alabama, Valleydale. This will be our next man church. We're now in curriculum number three, uh, Be Disciples, and we'll plug you into those small groups, and it's going to be... A chili cook-off, meaning we'll have, uh, last year we had 23 different men with their own chili recipes, so we'll fill men full of chili and then go into a worship service. So I don't know why we would do that, but only men's ministry can do that. But anyway, so if you want to be with us, it's free. We just need you to be there. Uh, I do want you to make a note of some things going on in December. I have the opportunity to uh, to go to New York City on December the 1st. I'll be speaking at the Daring Faith Conference, an evening with Promise Keepers in New York City. Uh, and if you are a church that would like to get a, a live stream of that, maybe you can't get to New York City. If you can, we'd love to have you there. The details are at themanchurch.com uh, under our events. But if you uh, would like your church to get together and your men watch the stream of that, there'll be multiple speakers and panels. Uh, they've assigned me, where is God during pain and suffering? I'll be on that panel. Uh, but anyway, you can contact Promise Keepers, and they'll set up a, a live stream for you. That link's available for you there as well. And then on December the 2nd, Government Street Baptist Church, Mobile, Alabama, they're kicking off the men's discipleship strategy with Brian Dawson from our team. Now, coming up in 2024, tickets are moving quickly to Man Church conferences. That, that's where you go into a weekend. All of our teachers, or a lot of our teachers are there, not all of them, but we have sessions with uh, the teachers all in one weekend. It's a good way for you, if you're one of the over 800 churches doing our strategy, it's great for you to come together with other churches. Y'all can network on how it's working for you guys. You'll hear new resources that we have. You'll hear from some of our teachers, but we also usually have a special guest for you. So Birmingham, on February 16th and 17th, our special guest will be Robbie Gallaty from Long Hollow in Hendersonville, Tennessee. He'll be in our guest slot, and then I'll be speaking Andy Blanks and Rich Wingo. Chuck Hooten does worship. Starkville, Mississippi, coming up on March 8th and 9th, James Spann. Uh, will be in our guest slot, and then Scott Dawson will be there, Andy Blanks, I'll be there, and Chuck Hooten. Tickets are moving quick. If you want to get your men together, y'all all sit together, our tickets are reserved, then go ahead and go to themanchurch.com and click on the logo there and get your tickets. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump in to the last part of the Revelation 21. We'll start in verse 22, and then we'll go through the second verse of twenty-two, chapter 22 of the Revelation. Lord, thank you for the future that you have guaranteed to all who are redeemed. But, Lord, there's also a future that's guaranteed to those that have rejected your, your, your offer of forgiveness. Uh, Lord, I pray that if there's any of those that are with us today, uh, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would draw them to you today. 
uh, as we look at uh, you know the good news that is ahead for those of us that are redeemed, and also looking at some interesting challenges uh, for those of us that are redeemed today, maybe one we didn't count on today, uh, and and we'll unpack that too. Uh, help us, help us, Lord, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, Amen. So I, I have heard a lot on this study of the Revelation uh, over the last week since the last time we were together. Got emails and met in person at different events. Women who watch this, so we know you're there. Uh, and uh, certainly, when we go through books of the Bible, men and women can be part of this. Now, in the room, it is just a men's Bible study. We have only men in the room, and that's the way it's always been, and it will continue. But I had a lot of ladies this week say, "You know, we're out here," and I do know that, so I'm glad that you're here. All right, so let's go to um, the Revelation chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 22. Now, if you missed last week, that archive is available for you, and you can go get that. Uh, at uh, themanchurch.com and just take take your cursor and put it right over the media button and you'll see watch or listen, pick whichever one you want to do and then go through the archives there. What we're going to do now, we looked at the outside and kind of the, the structure of, of the new city, the new Jerusalem. We told you about how big it is. We talked about the walls. We talked about the gates. We talked about the the, the perfection of, of God's presence with all who are redeemed. Well, now we're going to kind of look this week at the internal character of this new Jerusalem. And we are going to talk about the, the fact that we're in the new Jerusalem this is the new heaven. This is the new earth, which means this is this is the only people who occupy this are the redeemed. So there are no people there that are lost. There are no people there who are rebelling against God. Why does this city have walls? Why does this city have gates? Because who would this be for since everybody there is redeemed? So we'll look at that today. So first of all, let's let's talk a little bit about the internal character of the city. Uh, first thing John notices is there's no temple. There's no temple in the New Jerusalem. Let's look at that in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So there really is no, I wonder what he means. What is he, where's the temple? He tells you what the temple is. What, what, what John is saying is, I notice there's no temple here because there's no need for a temple. Uh, because now the temple is God himself. Uh, the, the, anything that's between us and him has been taken away. Um, and, and of course, up, up to this point, the reason why John's making this point, there has always been a temple, even a temple in heaven. And if you don't believe that, then you haven't been paying attention or taking very good notes here. Uh, because we've talked about the temple in heaven, and we talked about that in, in chapter 7, verse 15, in chapter 11, verse 19, Chapter 14, verse 15. Chapter 17, uh, we, we, we talked about it in verse 15. Uh, and, and then, of course, in 16, in verse 1, uh, and also we talked about it uh, uh, in, in more detail throughout the latter part of 17. So we have talked about that up to this point, even through the tribulation, even through the millennial kingdom, there's been a temple. But there's not a temple anymore because this is the new heaven. This is the new earth. This is the new Jerusalem. So there is no need for the temple, uh, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. So, so their blazing glory that we talked about last week that fills the new heaven and the new earth, we, we do not need anymore to go to some assigned place to worship God. Our life, now listen, this is a big line right here. This is important. If you're taking notes and you're looking to the future and you're wondering what it's going to be like to be in, a new, in the new heaven, in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, if you are there, we, you, this is what you're going to experience. Your life and my life, the redeemed, will be worship. Our life will be worship and worship will be life. We will be constantly in his presence and there'll be no yearning or, Lord, we ask you to join us for this service. Please, Lord, we ask that your spirit be upon us. Ain't no more begging and hoping he'll come and praying that there would be nothing that would keep him from coming or that he would remove his presence from us. All that's over. We're always in his presence. His presence is a given. So listen to this. If his presence is a given, guess what our reaction will be to his presence? Forever and ever and ever worship. You can't walk into the presence of God and not worship him. 
like we've even said about where we are now. If the power of God has come into your life, if your old spirit and dead spirit has been made alive by the very spirit of God and it hasn't changed you, it hasn't. it's not in the process of radically transforming you, you're the problem. God's not the problem. It's not due to an inability for him to transform you. If his presence in your life has not transformed you, I would, I would seriously ask you in loving gentleness to go find out whether you have him at all because he doesn't come into people's lives and we just remain the same. That's not possible. Amen. Speaking from experience, because I claimed to have a saving faith before I ever did because there was no evidence of it. And you know when I knew I had a saving faith? A saving faith when he began to transform me into something new. And I had a desire for him I'd never had before. And, and there's a hunger. So in, in this particular setup, all this thing of going here and i got to meet you there, there'll never be another moment when we're not in perfect communion with the Lord, God, Almighty, and the Lamb. No need for a temple. There's no need for a cathedral. There's no need for a church. There's no need for a chapel or any other house of worship. They are not needed because he is constantly with us. Does that excite anybody at all? Okay. No more wondering. I look, I don't know about y'all. I, I've been to services before that he did not attend. You know, it, it, it goes back to the, uh, you know, the, the funny joke about uh, the farmer that came to the to the big mega church and the and the pastor told him to go home and ask God about how he should dress, come to church. He had his overalls on. He just came casual straight from where he worked. And the pastor said, you come back next week and you go ask God how you need to dress for church. And so he came back next week and he still had his overalls on. And, and the pastor said, I told you to go ask God how you're supposed to dress when you come to this church. What did he say? He said he didn't know. He'd never been here. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, I, I mean... It's uh so so and you remember we talked about that back in, in the seven letters to the churches when when Jesus said somebody's come let me in I'm not even in there at Laodicea I'm y'all y'all carrying on church I'm not even part of it well that's all over the redeemed will be true worshipers of God but see God has always sought the worship He will finally get see that's one thing that we leave out a lot we leave this out a lot. We, we, we love to try to make God something we're more comfortable with. And I mean, we love that. I mean, we, we, we feel like we got to be God's PR agent to make him more palatable to, to others and sometimes make him more palatable to us. You know what we forget oftentimes? What God is really doing is making us more palatable for him. We also have never given him the worship that he desires in our fallen state. We never do it. And, and so when, when we get there, See, all that's going to change. Not only will we never have to worry about his presence not being with us, he's finally getting the worship that he's always desired because the sin's gone. And that sin keeps us from worshiping him the way that he is worthy of. I don't care how good you do it. In your fallen state, you've never done it right. But, but it will be done right there because every, it, it will all be perfect. John 4, 23, let's, let's look at that if you want to flip over to the Gospel of John. John 4, 23, and here's, here's, here's what we read in John 4, verse 23. Now, this is, this is God talk, I mean, you know, God in, with us, Jesus talking himself. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Look at 23, and here it is. But the hour is coming and is now here because Jesus is about to you know, solve the problem between us and him when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And he said, that day is coming, and I'm here to make sure it happens. And now here it is. Uh, it, it, this is the new heaven and the new earth. No longer, no longer will we be dependent on the things that we depended on here in the fallen earth, 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. We talked about this a little bit last week. For the glory of God give its, gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So no longer dependent on sun and moon. New. Remember what I said last week? I, I, I don't want us to fall victim to what our finite minds and our sinful flesh 
tends to do. We keep trying to make the new heaven and the new earth be a lot like what we have now. It won't be. It will not be. First of all, there's no sun and moon. There's no sea. So we already know there's something new going on, uh, and not just a new earth. There's a new heaven. Okay, this is this is what he's been preparing, and so sun and moon, the function they provide, light and darkness, and also remember the moon also is involved in ocean tides. Don't need that anymore. Don't have any ocean anymore. Don't need it. Don't need it for light. Don't need it for tides. So so. The glory of God will illuminate the new Jerusalem. Once again, we see God the Father and the Lamb, Jesus, that they share authority. Okay? It, it's, it, it, they are equal. Okay? And uh, so when you, when, you, when you think about this and, and how this illumination would overwhelm uh, all of us, one of the things that, that I love and, and I love to consider is that darkness will be no more. You know, I, I can remember when I was lost, I can remember when I was in rebellion against God that I actually was one of these people that I actually preferred night over day. Nights when I actually, I, that's when I was the most comfortable. I wasn't all that comfortable during the day. I didn't function well during the day. Uh, but at the night, that's when I, that, that's when I, that's where I look forward to. And so that is that will be no longer. And, and in verse 24, this is when things are about to start getting interesting for us. In 24, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. What? So when, when you look at the word nations here, what you see is the Greek word ethnos, E-T-H-N-O-S, which means a people, and really, ultimately, it means Gentiles. So, but this can't be any living human beings like the millennial reign. It can't be physical people because why? <clears throat> physical people cannot survive where there is no sun or moon. They can't do it. We have to have that. So what it, what it really means is that all the nations, it means all the people on the earth are all represented. And it also means, because it says they, they bring their glory in, almost like an offering, that they're equal as one people united under God. All of this equality that this fallen creation keeps trying to say that we won't, it's never going to happen in a fallen creation. And what we found, you've heard us say in here many times, and this is what John has seen, he's seeing it being lived out. The only place there's true equality is at the foot of the cross. Every single person, whether you're a king or whether you're a peasant, when it comes to the need of redemption, a king ain't no better than a peasant. And so what you see is all these accolades and all this world applause that everybody's after, everybody brings that in and says, that's over. We, we're all after the applause of the audience of one. And he says, I see all of the redeemed as equal people. All of you needed my redemption. And all of this inequality of some of you thinking that you are more important than the other, those days are over. And so even the kings of the earth that have been redeemed, uh, they will be bringing in their glory, and all the glory will be fully God's because he's, he's already told us in Scripture that he will share his glory with no one. Verse 24, By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory. And then look at 25. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So the light of the glory of God will be the light for all the kings of the earth. They'll bring their glory into it. No matter what glory you may have mastered on earth, you now surrender it to the, to the only one worthy of worship. And then 25, the gates are never shut by day, and there will be no night. So... I want you to understand if your goal is that you will compromise God so that you can be important now, as Jesus said, then you've already received your reward. That'll be it. That, that's, as, that's as good as it's ever going to get. But there will be also a shocker in heaven that all those accolades the world may have given you won't mean anything compared to the glory of God. 
And, and the question we have to ask ourselves, and I think it's an important question, are we living our lives for the applause of an audience of one, understanding that the only thing good about any of us that are, that, that are redeemed is our Redeemer? That's the only thing good about us. But are we living our lives, even willing to compromise him, if we can get a little more applause from the world? We like being elevated on the world. We, we like seeking the approval of the world. And what I would say, if that is still a problem with us, that problem needs to be adjusted because that is not how we're going to live. And, and, and what you have to be careful, if we're willing to go for the applause of the world, sooner or later they will ask you to compromise God in order to gain their full applause and full approval. So we talk about the gates. Old cities had gates that, that had to be locked in order to keep uh, all of the people inside safe. And, um, and, and you know, because if you think about it, two things are going on here about the evil people. Gates had to be locked, okay? And when, when do most criminals, most evil people, as I just mentioned about myself when I was one of them, when do they normally move to try to do their damage? At night. They love the cloak of darkness. They love to move in the cloak of darkness. But that's over. Uh, the city is completely secure. It will be a place, and I want you to think about yourself, okay, because I sure thought about this. It will be a place completely secure, a place of rest, a place of safety, a place of refreshment. This is when we finally rest from our labors. It's that rest that we all have sought and you just can't ever get. And, and I don't know about you guys. I've talked about this before. I'm someone who likes to keep moving. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with this. And if you do this for health, then probably it'd be better if I would do it. I don't take naps. I just never have done it. I, I just I, I never have been able to do it. I think maybe as I get older, I'll finally do it. And and it can be important. I prefer to, if I was an automobile, I prefer to take the accelerator to the floor. And then when I'm done and I've done all I'm supposed to do, then I'll tap the brake, stop the car, and go to sleep and rest. I like to earn my rest. And I enjoy resting, and I do rest. And I But I, I want to earn it. I, I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm just sitting around because I'm lazy. I want to feel like that if I'm resting, I actually have earned rest. So when you look at this, how do you think it feels? And we're going to get to this today. I would really love to stand before the Lord God Almighty and him look at me and say, you know what? After you were redeemed, the way you lived your life and the way you worked tirelessly to advance my kingdom, you deserve to rest. You've earned it. I didn't earn my salvation because you can't, but I did earn my reward and I did earn my rest. And that's where this whole thing gets a little dicey here, because I think one of the things that we often forget is when you look at scripture, there's something going on that people really aren't that comfortable with. There, there, there's, a, there's a thought in our minds that if we can just get into heaven, if I can just do enough to be redeemed, then I will live the same way that the Apostle Paul lives in the new heaven and the new earth. And I will tell you, to be, I would throw a flag on that. Uh, scripture doesn't really say that. Everybody, everybody's not going to live the same. No, look, the worst, the worst situation in the new heaven and new earth is going to be more glorious than anything we've ever, we've ever even fathomed but if you think the mobster who says i want to be forgiven of everything i've done on his deathbed is going to live the same way in heaven as the apostles the scripture doesn't say that and so that may explain these walls and these gates in the new jerusalem that not everybody gets to stay there now, everybody's in the new heaven, new earth, no doubt about that, because we're not really talking about a need, because look look what happens next in 26. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, 
But look at 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, you look at that and you go, well, none of those people exist anymore. True. So it could just be that John is saying because everything has been removed, one thing we'll never have to worry about in this city is that uh, all of these things, these detestable people, these liars, the ones that Jesus said would not be there, they were going to get the lake of fire, they're not going to be anywhere around, so, so there's no need for us to be concerned about those people anymore. And that would be correct. That's absolutely right. But something's going on here, not just here if you read all of Scripture. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. So in Hebrews chapter 11, we see something that has been called many times the Hall of Fame of Faith. Well, if, if everybody is going to you know, be the same and everybody's going to live the same way, why is there a need for a Hall of Fame of Faith? Why would we even list this? Why, why would the things that these people did even be in the Bible when if, if, if all it matters is just being redeemed and, and you end up with the same rewards as everybody else. If, if that's the case, I, I don't know why the writer of Hebrews would be giving us this Hall of Fame of Faith. But not only is the Hall of Fame of Faith there, uh, there's all kinds of, of listing of what people did uh, and, and, and why it's important, and it's showing that their faith is being celebrated, even though they're not the only people to ever be redeemed. But there, there's also, we find, as you read through this in, in, in Hebrews 11, you see things like Paul in Philippians 3. So flip over to that. So we go to Paul in Philippians chapter 3, and we know this uh, powerful book of Philippians. He's in jail, and he's writing to the church. And we, and we see him saying things like this in, uh, in verse 10. And he's talking about how his... Commitment to Christ has cost him everything. Look what he says up in 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, dung is what the King James Version says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Okay? So he's making it clear. My, my salvation is totally by the grace of God through faith. But then he says something in 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by, by any means uh, possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And he goes on in 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. And he goes on and he says, then these things, he said, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What prize is he talking about? It's not his redemption. What is he talking about? What's all this work he's doing now? What's all this action? He says, I realize that I'm, that I'm redeemed. That came through my, uh, through, through faith in Christ, but I'm still, but I, I have now made a commitment that I'm going for the prize. What prize? It's not redemption. So there must be something else. Some of this may be explained very easily by 2 Corinthians, which will be our next study, and I didn't do that on purpose. Uh, 2 Corinthians, look at something else Paul said that was interesting in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5, and then we go to verse 10. 
for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We've already studied that the redeemed do not stand before the great white throne judgment. But apparently we're going to stand before some judgment. That's the one before Christ, the Bema seat. And, 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 and this is right out of Scripture. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus is not going to take our redemption away. Why are we standing before him giving an account of our life? I thought that that in the book that 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 the that the the, the unrepentant all their sins were still in a book, and and we said that ours we don't have that we don't have that book. The only book we're in is the Lamb's Book of Life because we're the redeemed. What is this? Well, I'm tell you what it is. It is saying once you were redeemed, what did you do? And we're going to be given rewards for the things that we did out of obedience, not about salvation. And then and then and then there'll be a taking away of rewards if we decided to knock it out of gear and say, glad I'm going to heaven. Now I'm just going to kind of coast here till it's all over. Not really going to do anything. Do you realize that all of us have a call on our life? Everybody. Did you know there's not you cannot you can search all the spiritual gifts, you can search all the calls. Do you know the one that does not exist? The call to do nothing. What do you think Jesus wants you to do with your life? Nothing. I just want to be sure I wasn't going to hell. So you don't think you should be making disciples? Nope. Yeah, but he said to. You don't think you should be teaching people to obey all, uh, the, all of his commands? No, but he said to. Yeah, but I don't have to do that to be saved. That's true. You don't. And his will is not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. But if you think it, it, it's, it's not going to matter at all in the way you live in the new heaven, new earth, it's going to matter. Because we're all going to stand before the beam of seat. Oh, we had a guy called today, and you know he wanted to kind of trash everything we're doing with the men's ministry. I want to know what's going on while y'all charging for tickets and where's all this money going, whatever. I said, i tell you what. If you would like to join us today and invest in what we're doing, you can come with us. I'd love to have you. I'd like to know what are you doing to reach and disciple men? You realize that in most churches right now, I know we just did a survey in ours because I, I know what the numbers are there. You can't hardly find a church that more than 20% of the congregation do anything. They don't do mission trips. They don't volunteer for anything. They don't teach classes. They won't help with the children. They don't help with the men's ministry. They don't help with the women's ministry. They don't do anything. 80%. Some churches, it's, it's even higher than that. Don't do anything. So, so and, and this is not about earning salvation. This is about crowns. It, it, it also, look at this. Let's now go over to Luke. See, you're starting to understand the walls and the gates a little more now. I think that, you know, all the redeemed will be in the new heaven and new earth. Are all the redeemed going to be in the new, new Jerusalem? I don't know. I do know there's rewards, and I do know not everybody's going to get them. Uh, so Jesus, do you realize that when you go to Scripture, and this one thing, it may change the way you read Scripture if you're redeemed. When you go to Scripture, there is one message to the lost. Repent. Do you realize everything else he's talking about, he's talking to people that are already redeemed and how we're supposed to live? All he says to the lost is repent. God's wrath is coming. He tells them about hell. He tells them about all that. All these parables, most of them are not about redemption. They're about how we're supposed to be living, those of us who claim to already been redeemed. We're supposed to be doing his work until he returns. He talks about it on and on. You just heard Paul talking about it to the church at Corinth. You just heard Paul saying he's straining for the prize. So, so here's Jesus in one of his parables in Luke 9. 11 through 26, Luke 9, 11 through 26. And here's what, what, what Jesus has, has said. He said, when the crowds leaned in, they followed him and welcomed him and spoke to, he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and, and cured those who needed healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him, saying, send the crowd away 
and to go into the surrounding villages and countrysides, find lodging, and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people, for they were about to they were about five thousand men. And he said to the disciples, Have them sit down in groups, and they did so, and you know this, and taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven. And he said uh, a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and, and before and before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And there was leftover, picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others said, Elijah. And, and, and the one of the prophets of, of old has risen. Then he said, but who do you say I am? And listen to this. He says, and Peter answered the the Christ of God, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, and the chief priests and scribes uh, be killed, and on the third day be raised. And look what he said in 23. And he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me, of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So he's telling them, first of all, they said, what are we supposed to do with that? He said, you give them something to eat. Hey, you're, you need to be doing what I said. Who do, who do you say I am? And he said, if you're going to be with me, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You need to do what I told you to do. So if you look, if you look at the different crowns, they're actually all clearly laid out in Scripture. Uh, there's a great book by Ken Harrison, who, by the way, has started Promise Keepers up again, and Ken and I have been working together. It's called A Daring Faith and a Cowardly World. I would highly suggest you get this for your reading. And and Ken, at the end, begins to talk about the Bema Seed and talk about how those will live in the new heaven and the new earth and how clear the scriptures talk about the different crowns. So we know if, if you have, if, if we, we know that James 1.12 and many other places in Scripture, I'll give them to you, we know that one of the crowns is called the crown of life. So who gets the crown of life? Now, is it true that we will take our crowns and we'll give them all back and lay them down at the feet of Jesus? We've already studied that. We know it's true. But we're still given the crown, meaning there still is a reward in heaven that it is acknowledged, and that's that's called the crown of life. James 1.12 says that's what it is. A man who endures trials is blessed because he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life. A man who endures trials is blessed because he passes the test. He will receive the crown of life. He doesn't say a man who who repents and turns to Jesus and is redeemed will get the crown of life. This is this is somebody already in the church. He says the one who endures trials will get the crown of life. What did Ananias tell Paul when he went to him for his new ministry? Go tell Paul all he must suffer for me. And then he says, anyone who won't, will deny themselves and will pick up their cross and suffer with me. We're going to get in some verses about this that maybe you've never even thought about before. Revelation 2.10, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is the crown that goes to martyrs or those who, who their faith has cost them something. They were so devoted to, to Christ, it cost them. And he says they will receive the crown of life. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8 talks about the crown of righteousness. This is another crown. So the crown of life to the martyrs are those that, that their devotion to Christ cost them something. They suffered because of their devotion to Christ. Might have been their, their earthly life. Might have been the loss of a, a relationship that was hard. Might have been the loss of a job. It cost them something. Might have been lost of money, lost of standing. They get the crown of life. Then the crown of righteousness, you know, I read this this morning. Uh, I'm sharing our reading through the Bible, and this was our read this morning out of the New Testament. And it is a beautiful, beautiful letter uh, that Paul gives once again to Timothy. And what is Paul talking about? He's talking about the crown of righteousness. He's talking about that he is going to receive the crown of righteousness at the end of his life. So 
Is Paul talking about, he says, I hope I do everything right so I'll be redeemed? He's not talking about that. He knows he's redeemed. But, but that's not where he stops. Look at 2 Timothy verse 4, 7 through 8. Him writing to Timothy, who's now going to take over uh, his ministry, and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, be my seat, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Everybody who lived the way I did will get the crown of righteousness. He says, not just me. And what, what did he do that gives him the crown of righteousness? He said very clearly, we don't even have to search. He said that he fought the fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. He never compromised Jesus. Not after he encountered him, not after he was redeemed. And he said, because I've lived my life that way, I know that when I go before the Bema seat, I'm going to be given the crown of righteousness. So we know that the crown of righteousness is awarded to all those who live it out on earth and endured to the end and did not fade away. That also means even though you may be redeemed, and yes, you may be in the new heaven and the new earth, if you did not fight the good fight and you did not run the race and you did not keep the faith, you're not getting the crown of righteousness. It will be different. There's nothing we can do that will give us eternal life in heaven, but what we do after that will determine how we live there. And, and that's straight out of Scripture. The next one is the crown of glory. The crown of glory. This goes to those who actually make disciples, teachers. And, and, and you know, James tells us in 3.1, he says, and if you're going to be a teacher, understand you're going to be judged more strictly. So what? Wait a minute. We're even held to a higher standard? Yes, because you're handling the Word of God. You'll be judged more strictly on the way you live your life. You must be above reproach. You must not send a confusing message. People, you're responsible for my sheep, and you need to feed them well. And if you do, you'll get the crown of glory. Amen. But if you don't, you won't. And, and, and so some of you, I, you know, we, the writer of Hebrews has said this. I would say to some of you, I think some of you, because I used to be this way, 100% I was this way, so I'm not telling anything about you. I don't say about myself. I, you know why I didn't want to be a teacher? I didn't want to be held accountable. I didn't want that kind of responsibility. Now that's pathetic. I'm embarrassed of that now, but uh, but but I, I was just like I, I don't want that responsibility. I actually have to learn the Bible. I have to be able to handle the Word right. I mean, I'll I'll have to kind of watch the way I live my life so I don't send a confusing message. You know, I might, I might have to do things like not drink at all. You know, I mean, I mean, it, because, because I'm, I'm, I'm held to a higher standard. But there, there, there is a crown of glory that comes with that. I mean, when, when, you, when you think about this, and, and, and one of the things you can look at on this one is, um, if you want to try to see some more discussion about this, you can see Peter talking about this, um, about the, those that receive the crown of glory. And Peter is saying the same thing about it, and, and, and that we'll be head to, held to a higher standard. But also you see that... Um, uh, the writer of Hebrews got frustrated. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews says, I keep having to come here and teach the basic oracles of God. Y'all, I want to give you meat. He said, but you will not, you won't take meat. I keep having to give you milk. And what does he say? Some of y'all should be teachers by now. And I would say that to y'all. Some of y'all should be teachers by now. And, and, and so it, I, I'm not saying that, that, that everybody's called to that. But, I, but don't be like I was. You don't know whether you're called to it or not because you ain't going to put your yes on the table. You don't want to be called to it because you know the standard that's going to come with it. So we, we also see that there'll, there'll, be, there'll be other crowns that will be part of this. But if you want to look at First Peter, look at, look at chapter 5. Remember, we went through this and we did our Bible study of Peter. If you want that, it's in the archives. Look at verses 2 through 4. Verses 2 through 4 in First Peter chapter 5. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those you're in charge of, be an example to the flock. And look what he says next in 4. You ready? And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, I'm not making this stuff up. 
And what we do, we just—I know I did—I just look over this stuff because I think the whole Bible is about the lost and, and the redeemed. Well, it is, but to the lost, the message is simple: repent. To the redeemed, there's a lot more to say. There's work to be done, and there will be rewards for being obedient, and there will be a taking away of those who are not. You're not going to be kicked out of heaven. He's not taking back your redemption, but it will be different. And so uh, that's because that's what Scripture says, not because what Rick says. Ezekiel even talks about this, and uh, you know the, when he talks about it in chapter 18, what does he say? And this is the beautiful thing about being teachers, are going out and doing what we just do what he tells us to do. We're not responsible for people's response. Ezekiel was told by God, you tell them if they go to people in sin or they go to people they need to hold accountable and they tell them what I say, then then that person doesn't respond and that person rejects me, that blood's not on their hands. But if you know the truth and you don't tell them and they die in their sins, you will be held accountable for that. That's right out of Scripture. So then there is the crown of rejoicing. Uh, you know, th- th- this, this, is, this is those who've made an impact through Christ, those who, who have led people to Christ, those, those that the, 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 the glory and the joy in the presence of the Lord. You know why they're going to get the crown of rejoicing? Because there's no better feeling, and he says this, I want you to be excited about my coming. Don't be one of my workers that when you find out I'm coming, you go, uh-oh. Uh-oh, I didn't do what he said. The crown of rejoicing goes to those of you that have been about my business. You've been bringing people to Christ. You've been preaching the gospel. You've been witnessing to people. So when you know you're about to be escorted in front of me, we're going to rejoice because you did what I told you to do. You have no reason to fear my coming. You don't have to dread seeing me and say I let you down. You'll get the crown of rejoicing because you did what I told you to do. First Thessalonians. If you have that, I can back that up in 1 Thessalonians. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's go to verse 19. You see this one? This is exactly what I'm talking about. He said, uh, For what is our hope and joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are glory and joy. Why is Paul saying this to the church at Thessalonica that they are going to receive the crown of rejoicing when they see Jesus? Because he was excited about how they were living their lives. He tells them, you're doing great. I get great reports about you. Now, he does warn them in chapter 4, don't, don't, don't fade. Don't, don't think you've arrived. Your sanctification needs to continue because that's the will of God. Keep doing what you're doing. But you know what he did say? What you're doing is right. So much so, you're going to get the crown of rejoicing when you stand before the Lord. If you continue like this, there'll be much to celebrate. So if you've been giving and supporting ministry, advancing the gospel, you're part of it, whether you're giving, you're actually doing the preaching, you're actually doing the witnessing, you're doing the organizing, you're doing the working, whatever it is, if you're doing what he said to do, you're part of advancing the gospel, the crown of rejoicing. Now, if you knock it out of gear and say, yeah, that's somebody else's job. I'm not called to that. You're called to something. I don't know what it is, but you're called to something. And then there's the crown of mastery. You have mastered the call. You you, you are 400 level man or woman. Yeah, I mean, you look at this. Go to 1 Corinthians again. We're back to 1 Corinthians this time. 1 Corinthians, go to chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And then look at 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27. Here it is again. You realize he's talking to a church right here, okay? Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but you an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I find myself disqualified. 
Disqualified for what? Not his salvation. What is he disqualified for? The prize. What is he disqualified for? The crown. I want the crown. Not because that's what's going to redeem me, because I have been redeemed. You think Paul's worried about he's going to lose his redemption? It's not what he's talking about. I don't want to lose the prize. So I live my life to win the race, not to just be in it. I I live my life to stand before God and him go, now this one I know. He made an impact. He didn't take my grace and squander it. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10? I know the things I did. I know how much grace I was shown. I know I persecuted the church. I know I stood there and watched Stephen be stoned. I know I did all that. So I work harder than the rest of them. I shouldn't even be an apostle. But let me tell you something. Once he redeemed me, he's going to get a return on the grace he gave me. Not because I can earn anything as a thank you. Do, do we not understand what God did for us? How can we be so apathetic about it? I mean, it's to the point now, it's, it, it, it's at the, I don't even, I have to struggle to care about anything else. And it took me a while to get there. It didn't happen overnight. Sanctification is a process. I, 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 hope, I hope if I will be obedient and I, and, I, and I will be self-disciplined, I will overcome, that I will find myself looking at where I am with Christ right now and thinking this is pathetic. Because I know he's capable of much more than I've seen so far. I know my limits, but he didn't have any. So those who run to win... Notice he talked about self-control. He talked about discipline. This is not to earn salvation. This is not to get a a holy BMI. This is not to to do some sort of legalistic, look how disciplined I can be. We have self-control and we have discipline so we can actually do it. I couldn't keep the schedule I keep if I didn't take care of myself. I tried it. It nearly killed me. So, we also see in 9.27 when he says what? When you you go to 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I I, I should be disqualified. Don't let your crown get stolen. Don't let it be taken away from you. You know, there's a difference when... When Romans chapter 8, you know, this most powerful book of the Bible, many people say, and, and I don't disagree with that. I think it's all important, but Romans chapter 8 is about as good as it gets. And we love to talk about heirs and co-heirs. But one of the things you see in 17 is, is he said, if we are children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He throws a little something in there, doesn't he? See, there's a difference in saying, well, I know I'm redeemed, so I'm an heir. But no, Paul says, no, those that suffer with him, they're actually co-heirs. They're going to even be a step up. You know, if I give leave my stuff for my heirs, well, that could go deep into, you know, cousins and everything else. But my co-heirs, that, that's a different deal. And he says the co-heirs are the ones who suffer with him. They actually sacrifice themselves for the for him. This is all in Scripture. This is not something that you know I went out and made up on my own. And so, we will cast our crowns before the throne of God. We found that out in Revelation four ten. But we also have to come to the conclusion that you can't put something at Jesus' feet that you didn't get. And it's clear that that's going to happen. This is a scene of complete transparency. There's no secrets. There's no mystery. We all live in perfect worship, nothing to hide. There's no one there you can't trust. There's no one there that you feel unequal to before God in his purest form. There'll be no sinners there, only the redeemed. And then he gets into chapter 22, verses 1 through 2. So I hope that gives you kind of the, the idea of the walls and the gates of, of what, 
what this could possibly be all about. The thing about the crowns and the rewards, there's no denying that. Now, whether that has anything to do with gates and walls, that's certainly up for debate. But the fact there are rewards given in heaven, that's not up for debate. 22, 1 through 2, Then the angel showed me the river of water uh, of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street in the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this is not a hydraulic cycle. That's over. We know that we don't have that anymore. There's no rain to fill a river. The water of life isn't a typical river. It's a symbol of eternal life. Isaiah talked about it, if you want to make a note, in Isaiah 12, 3. John talks about it in John 4, 13, and 14. Also, John talks about it in, uh, in chapter 7, verse 38. Like everything in the New Jerusalem, the river is crystal clear. Why? To reflect God's glory. To reflect God's glory. It cascaded down from the throne of God and then go, and the Lamb, it's dazzling, sparkling, never ending, pure, unpolluted, unobstructed. Its flow is symbolizing the constant flow from the throne of God of everlasting life from God's throne to God's people. Does that sound good to you? The middle of the street there, really, what it's meaning, if you look at the real word, a better word would be a path uh, on either side the tree of life. Uh, This is the celestial counterpart to the tree of life in Eden. It's not the one from Genesis 2-9, but it is its counterpart in the new heaven and the new earth. The tree provides for those who are immortal. You know, the, the Jewish people fully, John fully understands the tree of life. That always meant a blessing to them. We talked about this in chapter two of the Revelation, verse seven. Proverbs talks about this tree of life a lot. In Proverbs 3.18, Proverbs 11.30, Proverbs 13.12, Proverbs 15.4. So this this tree symbolizes the blessing of God of eternal life. Notice it says 12 kinds of fruit. This means an infinite variety that that will fill heaven. And notice it says every month. Now, that's not a limited time. It's not a literal time frame. What John is trying to tell you is we will never want again. It is always there. It always provides. It never ends. We are never without. That's what he's talking about. And, um, and, and then he says the leaves provide healing. The Greek word there is therapia. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's not like, like an illness that it's trying to cure because we don't have an Ill, illness. It, it's, like, it's like it's health-giving. It's more therapeutic. Uh, the leaves of the tree are like a, like supernatural vitamins. If you get up and take your vitamins, they're limited. These are not. And what it's just going to promote general health. We'll be fully energized. We, we, will, we will be excited. We will be ready to go. We, we, I, it doesn't say whether we'll actually eat them or not. Maybe. Um, you know, the angels ate with Abraham and Sarah. Jesus ate after the resurrection. But here's the thing I'll end on for someone who loves food. Apparently, when we get to the new heaven and the new earth, we will not eat for sustenance. We'll eat for enjoyment. Amen. And because and, and we won't need to eat, we will just get to eat. And what it says, what we will be consuming, can you imagine? Can you imagine never, ever having another day that you don't feel good? You feel great all the time. You never go, I'm just kind of tired. Don't get tired. You don't say, man, I got a headache. You don't have headaches. Me right now, I've got a crick in my neck driving me crazy. I wish I could eat one of them leaves right now. We won't have to be dealing with any of that. So I hope today we walk away, number one, if you're not redeemed, you're not going to see any of this. But even if we are redeemed, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? Let's say right now, watching and listening and sitting in here, Bam, you're standing before the Bema seat. Right now, Jesus is there. Any crowns? Are you one of those people that maybe the gates and the walls are set up for? Because you're there in the new heaven and new earth. But you're not receiving the rewards and the well done, good and faithful servant like those who deserve it. Here's the good news. If you hear me 
you're still alive. Once you start making plans and maybe changing the way you live your life, where the Bema seat will not be something that might embarrass you, but something that you joyfully anticipate. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these words. Thank you for this encouragement. Thank you for the uh, challenge. Help us, Lord, to become what we cannot. In your holy name we pray. Amen.